The 90s blockbuster Independence Day frames a cliched story of alien invasion around the relationships of four very different families. Are you just watching? Episode 105, Independence Day, Part 1. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we're going back in time a little bit. We had a we we've asked for suggestions in our community, which if you are part of our community, it's on. Uh, you can just go to areyoujustwatching.com slash community, and it'll take you directly to our Facebook group. And Tim and I didn't really have any great ideas for our June episode, so we asked in there, and somebody suggested we pick a movie from our childhood. And Independence Day isn't really from either of our childhoods, but it is <laughs> a ways back in time. So old. <laughs> it's old, yeah. <laughs> a couple decades, anyway. So we decided to go back and watch Independence Day again. It's always been uh, one of my favorite movies. I was a huge sci-fi buff, even as a teenager. And so Independence Day struck about the time that I was in my final years of college. And it was a big summer blockbuster. Everybody was talking about it. It mm. was one of those that, you know, that they were teaser previews out for ages before the movie came out. And everybody was just all I mean, it was ID for everything. Everybody was so excited about this movie. I do believe I saw it in the theater. I don't really remember my first experience seeing it. But it's always been one of my favorites. And I've seen it so many times. I'm not entirely sure I can even count how many times I've seen this movie. It really is one of those movies where if you're flipping through the channels or you're looking at the guide, you yeah. know, and, and you see it's on, you can always turn to it and be confident that you're going to get decent viewing. Yes. It's going to be an entertaining movie no matter where you come in on it, especially if mm. you've already seen it. So you know how it starts and you know the build up. You can come in at any time. And, and I, I was just commenting while we were working on our outline that I I, there's so many quotable quotes in this movie that I can almost sit there and like read off the dialogue before they say it when I'm watching the movie because <laughs> I I have quite a bit of the dialogue down. So it's it's one of those movies I didn't really need to watch again, but we did do notes passes and to and it was kind of a good reminder because I actually watched this movie and and it became a favorite of mine long before I started you know critically reviewing movies. And this, you know, predates our starting the podcast by a good decade. <laughs> and hmm. I've realized that I'm a lot more critical now than I was when I first fell in love with this movie. And so it was kind of a good reminder that even when we go back and watch movies that we've seen over and over and over again, it's really important to apply that critical thinking to it and not just be entertained. And so this one was a good reminder for me. You have a different story about where you were when this movie came out. Yeah, actually, it's interesting that you started with the ubiquity of advertisements and everything for ID4, because I missed the entire thing. <laughs> See, it, uh, I had been in the Army for six years by that point and was stationed over in Germany. And back then, it was just before, actually, the digital delivery of movies started, so when you went to the theater and watched a movie, you were still watching actual film, <laughs> you know, the big 120 pounds of celluloid <laughs> sitting in reels. And there would be a guy up in the booth who would fire up the projectors in order to make sure you got to see the movie in the right sequence. But anyway, the movies that would come over to the armed forces in Europe, they were usually delayed by six to nine months. <laughs> if you were lucky some of the blockbusters actually took longer to get there because it would be sort of like considered second run theaters. If they did really, if they continue to do well in the main theaters, it would make, take longer to get to the armed forces network. Yeah. And that was the case for us by, by the time ID four actually made it over to the armed forces theaters over where I was stationed in Bavaria it probably had been out for a year by that point Wow, would be my guess. Yeah. And I honestly, I don't remember if we saw it in our little base theater that held 60 people. <laughs> it certainly is a movie that I can always go back to. And 
I know we owned it on VHS. I'm 90% sure we own a DVD of it. And I think we own a Blu-ray of it. <laughs> and of course, I couldn't find any of the three <laughs> once we decided we were doing this movie. <laughs> so now we own a digital copy, too. <laughs> That's great. That's hilarious. I own more Independence Day. Yeah. Well, I know the streaming services, none of them are, at least none of the ones I have access to are currently running it. Yeah. So it, it was, I definitely had to rely on my DVD for this, but it is a good movie. But as I just mentioned a little bit ago, mm. I don't think I was nearly as critical back when I saw it. I didn't realize how much bad language there is in this movie. Yeah. It really surprised me. I don't know whether my filter... I know that I had quite a filter back in the 90s where, you know, I just didn't notice it. It, it didn't phase me. It wasn't that I was a, a person who did a lot of swearing myself. It was just that I, because I was in college around a lot of people that were constantly uh, using bad language all the time, Same. I just filtered it out. Same thing with the military. Yeah. I just filtered it out and I didn't notice it. And so now I, I'm more sensitive and I just had not realized how bad this movie was. It's got a lot of bad language in it. You know, by today's standards, so it's still tame. Yeah, that's true. It, I don't think there was a single uh, by F word in it. Secular standards. Yeah, by secular standards. Yeah. yeah. But by Christian standards, it's definitely bad because of, I would say a good 80% of the foul language was taking the Lord's name in vain. And yep. I don't think you hear that as much these days. I think it's more of the F word and the S word and all of that. And now it's. In this movie, it was a lot of using diff various names for God in the wrong <laughs> situation. Yeah. So that was a, a big uh, problem for me. But other than that, I just really enjoyed seeing it again. I, I'm glad I'm glad we <laughs> chose it because it's, it's a movie I can sit down and watch anytime. And I really liked it. And yeah. I remembered in watching this, the reason why I like this movie so much is because it's character driven. So many blockbusters, especially nowadays, are very mm -hmm. shallow. And they're in it for the special effects. They're in it for just the action. And the characters in this movie, almost this entire movie is all based on like very strong characters. And they, they drive and, and tell the story through their interactions. And because of that, it's not all about the effects. It's not all about, you know, the action. And and while all of those things are important, it's what made the movie a big summer blockbuster. I think that the reason why it's so endearing and why it's lasted so long is because there is so much more to the, the story and the characters in it than, than just the obvious. So because, I mean, if, mm -hmm. if you think about it, this story has been done so many times. Why would this this movie <laughs> stand out? And uh, and it's because of the how character driven the story is, and we're going to talk about that more because we're yeah. going to really tear apart some of the character stories in this. Yeah, I had always considered this a popcorn movie, you know, a, a, a big summer blockbuster with a, a really common story, like you mm -hmm. said. It, half the movies in the fifties <laughs> were based on alien invasion, but uh, it, it wasn't until we did this viewing, looking specifically for themes that I started to notice some of the, some of the subtleties and really that's what are you just watching is, is all about because we had watched this movie probably at least in part hundreds of times. <laughs> Combined to get. Yeah. 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 Before doing this and not noticed some of the more nuanced elements of it, but they're there and they're impactful. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what media is really all about not just secular media but Christian media too mm -hmm. about pushing their worldview through the presentation of the story and mm -hmm. and the way the characters are developed and presented and it affects you regardless whether or not you pick up on it or whether or not. you're paying attention yeah yeah and you know sometimes even more when you're not paying attention yeah so i am glad that the, we picked this one up to do it's interesting because uh before you joined me as a co-host, I had done the movie Bicentennial Man, and I actually got negative. That was the episode that got me to contact you. Oh, really? That's great. It was actually the episode that I got negative feedback about it being a movie that it was old and people hadn't seen recently. So I, it'll be interesting to mm. see what kind of feedback we get on this episode, because we are dealing with a very old movie. But I 
Glad yeah. we didn't go any older because it would get even harder to connect with some of our younger audience. I, I guess this one is what is it? Twenty four years old. Yeah, well, it came out in ninety six. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a True. it's a pre twenty first century movie. <laughs> this movie is older than two of my kids. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to think. I don't think of myself as being old, but this was a new movie. I, I mean, I was in college when it came out, so <laughs> I, I don't think of it as being an old movie, but it is. But all of that aside, one of my absolute favorite score composers did the score for this. And he was new back in the 90s. The first movie <laughs> the first movie I remember him scoring was the movie Stargate, which came out two years before Independence Day, which would be another one that would be and interesting. Stargate was done by the, the entire creative team was the same from Stargate. And actually, one at least one Stargate actor appears in Independence mm-hmm. Day. Yeah, but Stargate was and Independence Day were both scored by David Arnold, and he was a a, a newbie to scoring movies back in the '90s. And his his soundtracks were different. I mean, up until then, we'd had a lot of John Williams with Star Wars, and and uh, I think just about every major blockbuster up until the '90s was scored by John Williams. <laughs> so. <laughs> And it was just neat to get a different feel for for music, and David Arnold had that different mm-hmm. feel. Of course, as he progressed, he started to be kind of the same way John Williams was, so every score kind of sounded the same as the previous score. But I really loved Independence Day and Stargate. They were two of my favorite soundtracks, and so I actually own both of them. So this is not going to be hard for me to play music from this movie. One of the things that I think I'm a little more sensitive to now is scientific inaccuracies. I mean, we we spent a lot of time when we talked about uh, some of the other sci-fis we've done where we kind of took apart the science of them and where they went wrong. Or lack thereof. Yeah. Independence Day, I don't think necessarily billed itself as a science fiction. I think it was more of a space opera. So it wasn't one where you were necessarily supposed to take the science seriously. Mm Mm-hmm. But it starts out, the very first scene that you get in the movie is the mothership of the, uh, and we find out they are actually called Harvesters. They don't not called anything in Independence Day, but when they came out with the sequel, they gave them a name. So yep. they're, they're called the Harvesters. But you see the mothership going past the moon, and they show you the plaque from the original moon landing where Armstrong, you know, the first steps in the, the sand of the first man on stepping onto the moon and the lander and the flag. And the vibration of the ship makes the footprints go away in the sand. And as it's going over, I think it was my my notes pass. I was I was thinking... You know, there's so many people nowadays who think that the whole landing on the moon was a hoax. And one of the reasons <laughs> that they claim that it's a hoax is because there are no stars in any of the pictures that were taken on the moon. And so they're all like, well, it was taken on a soundstage because there's no stars. Well, that's actually an evidence that it was actually on the moon because anybody who were faking a moon landing would put stars in it because you would think <laughs> there would be stars in pictures taken on the moon. But come to find out that when you take pictures on the moon, in order to take uh, pictures of things in the near field, you have to set your aperture to collect the light so that you can focus on the near objects. And when you do that, 
the stars are too dim and so they don't show up on the film. And of course, in this picture of the mothership, you know, destroying this, the artifacts and the stuff of our original moon landing, you see stars. And then it turns and you see the earth and there's stars all around the earth, which you wouldn't mm-hmm. see stars all around the earth. And the earth is really big. You're like looking across the meanscape and the earth is like bigger than the moon would be from earth. Earth is not that big. I mean, we've seen right. pictures of the earth from the moon and the earth is not that big. And so it was just really interesting to me that they, they like did everything wrong (laughs) for showing. It really does take creative license to a new level. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it was just interesting to me because I had never heard when I first saw this movie, I had never heard that there were actual people out there who, who, believed we have never been to the moon that we've never been into space and i have only recently you know well i wouldn't say recently like in the last 10 to 15 years i found out about this whole movement of you know that people believe that we didn't actually walk on the moon and so i you know i it wouldn't have even have impacted me if i hadn't had that in my mind when they showed you know (laughs) this moon this soundstage done you know uh, digital reproduction of the moon landing and they show the stars. And so it just was interesting to me that when we do it, when we fake it, we put stars in it. And yet when we didn't put stars in it, they thought it was a fake. Yeah. Well, you know, this, this movie's sort of like the old storyteller around the campfire who won't let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things about like the size of the ship. The ship was what they say it was. The mothership was a quarter of the size of the moon. Uh, yeah, the mass of the said. moon. Yeah, yeah, and and then the the ships that broke off of it and came into the atmosphere were 15 miles across each. But there were 36. There were at least 36 of the ships, and the math just doesn't work. <laughs> that the math doesn't work, but then also just the idea of 15 mile wide ships breaking through our atmosphere, what that would do to gravity and and mass hmm. and all of the other. I mean, that would like seriously mess up our atmosphere and everything. You know, from a scientific standpoint, it just I can't imagine it working. Yeah, but. Of course, they were coming to destroy the Earth anyway, so it's like, what do they care? I mean, and I think there's quite a few scientific inaccuracies. Number one, they time this entire space battle at the end of the movie based on them getting up there in their little ship and delivering the virus to the mothership and leaving orbit and meeting something in orbit would take at least a day. Mm-hmm. And and they they get up there in 19 minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just like crazy. You know, it's just hilarious that, you know, we have to suspend our disbelief on some of the stuff oh, yeah. just to enjoy it because it, it was not billed as being the scientifically accurate science fiction and obviously was not. But yeah, it was still fun. Movie. But that's OK, because it didn't need to yeah. be. No, it didn't need to be. One of the things that uh, stuck out to me uh, on this watching is there are so many differences between the social morals of 1996 and the social morals of today that stood Mm -hmm. out to me. David's friend at work or manager or whatever, Marty, I think his name is, they imply that he's homosexual, but they can't say it outright because this was 1996, 24 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. And it, it would not have gone over as, as well as it does today. And, you know, the, the fact that Steve Hiller, Captain Steve Hiller and, and Jasmine are in a clearly sexual relationship with the son there. They just sort of dance around that. I would say they're actually a, a pretty upfront with it in in a way that they were trying to make a point, which nowadays they don't even have to make a point of it. it. That, now it's just that's my point. Yeah. It, it's if it were in today's movies, they would call it out and glorify it. But in Independence Day, it's just in the background because today they want to say it's not important to be married. Yeah, but uh, back then it. it there I guess was still they were, some hesitation about that. <laughs> They were more worried about insulting 
those of us who would be insulted. But yeah, I guess they're glad that we're a much more enlightened society now. Enlightened being in air quotes. <laughs> Nobody can see me yeah. doing them. I did think of one other uh, scientific inaccuracy. Oh, no. Okay. While you were talking. There's a scene right at the beginning when the ship is approaching Earth where a satellite, where it runs into a satellite. And oh. the satellites are not that <laughs> I think far I actually put Earth. that one in my notes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what is that satellite? It's, it escaped Earth's orbit. And it's like way flying out there. Because <laughs> satellites are actually in very low orbit, so it would never well, obstruct the ship. The ship didn't get that. Not close. all of them. It's, it's yeah. satellites can satellites can go uh, thirty five, uh, one hundred and thirty five kilometers into space and be as low as twenty two kilometers. So, but I mean, in space, that's still pretty. In relation pretty to the rest of space, that's yeah. still pretty close. Yeah, and I mean the even the space station is fairly close, so everybody thinks it's like way up there, but even they're they're circling the earth, I can't remember how many times a day, but they're they're actually every 90 fairly minutes. close. Yeah. Yeah, they they circle every 90 minutes. They're actually fairly close to the earth and it boggles the mind how much space there is out there, but the, I thought the space that was... station is 254 miles up. Yeah, I, I didn't really appreciate that until the Creation Museum has a planetarium where they 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 talk about scale, and in the the planetarium show they do at the Creation Museum, and it one of the first things they do is show you where the space station is, and then they zoom out and show you where the moon is, and it just really mm -hmm. boggles your mind how close to the Earth the space station is. Yeah. So in comparison to the moon, yeah. Yeah, the moon is 239,000 miles. <laughs> yeah. It's like one, the space station is 1% of the way to the moon or something like that. It's, that's weird. Yeah. So it, it just, the, the scale is, was all wrong in their space stuff. But yeah. if this was, this was 1996. So we'll give them a little. Uh, we were still flying the shuttle way back then. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we've probably exhausted our opening thoughts. This was not an attempt to do any non-spoilers because this movie has been out for a couple decades. So if you haven't seen the movie, that's your own fault. Yeah. It's like spoilers for Citizen Kane. Rosebud is a yeah. sled, guys. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can't believe you just did that. Are you just watching? You grab the popcorn, plant the family on the couch, and flip on the TV. But have you left your worldview behind? Media comes in all forms, and all of it contains some level of indoctrination. Are You Just Watching? The Entertained Christian's Handbook to Consuming Media with Purpose is a guided journal with worldview-shaping info and lots of guided note pages to help you watch and discuss anything you put before your family's eyes. Purchase it now on Amazon.com. And don't just watch. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about was to you know to delve deeper into some of the character relationships that are going on in Independence Day because as I said, Independence Day is character driven and it's not something I think most people sit down to watch a blockbuster and and think they're going to get absorbed into the lives of people. And what's amazing about this movie, though, it is fairly long. It's a like a two and a half hour movie, like two hours and twenty minutes. Or two something. hours twenty four minutes with the credits. Twenty four minutes. Yeah. yeah, twenty and at least ten minutes of those are credits. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's one of those movies that it needed the time, so you don't feel like it's overly long. Not like um, some of movies I could mention where you look at your watch halfway through, going, "Is this movie going to be <laughs> over?" <clears throat> Phantom Menace. <clears throat> <laughs> this movie needed the it needed the time because even though it's only covering three days, there's a lot that happens in those three days. And you're following four different families. And so you have to kind of have time to learn about them and get absorbed into their lives before aliens come and destroy the world. Even though the whole story is framed by these aliens coming to destroy the world, we get to see that cameoed in or the way it influences, you know, in these four different families. And mm -hmm. so the first family that you see is believe it or not, the president of the United States. But you don't know he's the president when you first see him. All you see is that he's laying on the bed and he's taking a phone call from his wife, who is somewhere mm -hmm. else. 
on the other side of the country. And so they're mm-hmm. having this very lovable conversation. You can tell that he is a man of virtue who loves his wife and they, he's a good father. He's got their his daughter there in the bed with him. And you find out all of that stuff about him before he gets up and walks out of the room and is greeted as Mr. President. So mm-hmm. you're like, oh, he's the president. And I tell you, coming in this day and age, back in the 90s, you kind of assumed to some degree, <laughs> I'm trying to think of who was actually yeah. president at this time, but you kind of assumed at, to some degree, that Clinton. presidents were, I know, that's why I says I'm trying yeah. not to think of <laughs> who was president at this time, that presidents were people of virtue and that they had good loving relationships with their wives. And I think that that was considered the norm back in the 90s. And now we kind of have a completely different understanding of presidents as uh, people with a great deal of faults. Not the norm, but the standard, I think. The standard, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the And the standard has... Deteriorated. <laughs> yeah. The standard is just so different. It, it's interesting that we did Independence Day because my wife, daughter, and I had been watching the Netflix series over the last three weeks where when we would have time, we would sit down and watch an episode of space force with Steve Carell. Uh, Mm -hmm. Steve Carell is an actor. uh, I find uh, really funny, really enjoy his delivery. His comic timing is, is really good. And he plays the straight funny guy really well as evidenced by his role in the American version of the office. But uh, you know, <laughs> just the way comparing the relationships in, in Independence Day to the relationships in, in Space Force, by the end of the first season of Space Force, Corell is in an open marriage because his wife is in prison. Mm. And everybody is okay with that. Not a, the only one who even bats an eye is the daughter. Wow. And the language in Space Force, whoa. <laughs> it's remarkable how commonplace it. One of the characters is referred to with the F word as his first name throughout the entire show. It's just, it's astounding how laissez-faire it really highlights for me the difference between 1996 and 2020 and this relationship, this loving marriage, it, it being the standard. We're not even encouraged to think in that standard anymore. No. So I miss it. Yeah, I do. And, the you know, the really cool thing, you know, the first lady is standing up for her husband. There's love and respect there. Uh, they're obviously faithful to each other. There's the the scene where she dies is just it, it's heart wrenching, and so mm. you really you, you really feel that that this is this was a marriage that was going to last until they were old, and they were going to remain faithful together. They were going to celebrate their fiftieth anniversary. They were going to be that that beautiful mm-hmm. old couple, you know. And so it made you hurt when she died because you even though you'd seen so little of her in the movie you really felt like there was a a strength in that relationship they really communicated it well and you see the president as being a committed father even though he's committed to you know leading the nation uh he he is still taking time to you know carry his daughter to to have her with him it pretty much doesn't forget about her yeah and he doesn't just pass her off. I think the only time in the whole movie he passes her off to a staffer is when he his wife is dying. And at that point, it really made sense yeah. uh, to get her out of the room. And so I, I really felt like that this was an absolutely beautiful picture of a marriage in a situation in a place where you don't typically see good marriages and not mm-hmm. anymore anyway. And, and so it was just I, I thought that. Of all of the stories that they tell in this movie, the story of the president is a really great one. And you find out more backstory as he's leaving, you know, in that opening scene where he's leaving his private suite and going into the office that, 
you know, he's you find out that the country doesn't like him, that he's got really negative reviews and people think he's too young for the job and uh, that he was a fighter pilot who's turned into a, a president that people no longer trust that he's doing the right thing anymore. And you find out throughout the movie that he's actually a very honest person, that he's not capable of lying, which I thought <laughs> was, his wife keeps teasing him that he's a terrible liar and that he needs yeah. to stick to the truth. Stick to the truth. It suits you. It's just all around the story of the president and him dealing with all of the things that ha he has to deal with, with not only his country being invaded, but the whole world being invaded and the absolute tragic loss of life going on. And it, it's... It would be devastating if it were just one city that was destroyed. But by the time, you know, July 4th rolls around, uh, it's multiple cities that have been completely yeah. wiped out. And the death toll has, you know, to think of how much of a, a heavy decision it is on President Trump right now dealing with a pandemic. There's the scene in the movie where they've decided to try and nuke the alien and when he when the ship is getting over houston they they send out a, a nuclear warhead to try and take it out and they keep asking him you know can we fire it can we fire it and and he just he just sits there and he just pauses like mm -hmm. and you're wondering why is he waiting why why is he waiting and it's like he's struggling that's a, he's struggling it's like yeah that is a really hard choice to make to to send off a nuke and it over a city as populous as Houston. Of course, it was deserted by that point, but they communicated well that he didn't just do things off the fly. He really thought about him and he agonized over them. And, mm -hmm. and it was just a, a really good picture of what a president should be. I liked how they showed uh, the president and his wife working together. It's She was out on a camp. It wasn't a campaign event, but she was out on a policy event in California. Yeah. And that's the kind of relationship that I think every husband and wife, it's its teamwork. Yeah. It really does remind that uh, Ephesians 531, for this reason, the man will leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife and the two will become one flesh. Mm, yeah. They really are a functioning unit. Uh, husband and wife. And that's the way it was designed. That's the way mm -hmm. God intended husband and wife to be, because it's supposed to be a reflection of the church's relationship with Christ and with God. Yeah, Genesis 2, 18 and 19, uh, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground, every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds in the sky and every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. I always thought that that one was backwards. It should have been 19 and 20 and then 18, but... <laughs> <laughs> The Bi I'm not going to take scissors to the Bible and put it in what I think is the right order, unlike some of our presidents. <laughs> so, you know, we are supposed to work together to achieve good things. And, and that's the relationship that we see with the president and his wife in Independence Day. Yeah, it's a beautiful relationship. And I'm I'm grateful that they gave you that. And it was the first relationship you're introduced to in the movie because we're going to kind of step into some interesting things as we progress through this mm -hmm. cycle of talking about the various characters. Because we come out, we, we start out with this really great relationship where we're seeing what a real loving marriage looks like. And then the next thing we see is <laughs> this out of wedlock relationship between Steve and Jasmine. And uh, she's a stripper and he's a air force pilot and he's on leave for the 4th of July. And the funny thing about when you're introduced to them is that the ship is coming into LA and they're just waking up and, <laughs> and <laughs> that wasn't even just, a 4.0. Yeah. They just, and things rattle. And when they open their eyes, it's dark and it's dark because the ship's between them and the sun. They don't even look at the time. They just assume it's still early because it's dark. And so they go back to sleep. 
and completely miss out on everything that's going on around them. <laughs> and I think that's hilarious because it, it it's happened to me a few times where, you know, it's a cloudy day and it just doesn't get as bright as early as I think it should. And I wake up and I'm like, it can't be that or that late, you know, and yeah. then you look at the time and it's later than you think it is. But I thought that that was a terrific way to introduce them with the ship coming in and, you know, causing the earthquake and all of that in LA. And the funny scene in the movie, well, there's lots of funny scenes in the movie, but it was when he goes out to fetch the paper. And instead of looking straight ahead, he bends down, he gets the paper, and then he looks out of the corner and I, and he sees mm. neighbors <laughs> packing on one side, and he sees neighbors packing on the other side, and he doesn't look up until the helicopter crosses overhead, and then he looks up and there's this big ship, right? I mean, it's like, how do you walk out of the house and not see it? Because it was like yeah. right in front of him, you know? That was the whole reveal. And, and you know, that actually is just like the whole lack of scientific uh, faithfulness. Mm-hmm. There, There's no way somebody walks out of that house and doesn't see the the giant spaceship. But in order to make <laughs> it a better delivery... yeah they did it that way and it worked it, it really yeah. did work and i i do remember the first time i saw that it was like come on look up look up <laughs> look up and then it was, and then jasmine comes out with the coffee and she doesn't look up until yeah. she sees him staring you know and it's like come on guys how can you be that completely oblivious to something yeah. that's right in front of you but you know that would be a very a good spiritual parallel because and, you know, in, in Romans 1, it tells you that that's basically the way mankind is about God. I mean, mm-hmm. they're completely, it's so obvious. It's so obvious, and yet they're completely oblivious to it. So it's kind of a neat el- and spiritual analogy there. You know, thinking about the introduction, the viewer's introduction to the characters in the movie, you don't actually know that they're not married. There's no indication that they're not married until the locker room scene, right? Yeah, I don't think that it, it doesn't really any of their interactions there. It doesn't really feel like they're just living together uh, or that he's even just visiting on leave, which is really what's going on. Uh, you get the idea that that they were expecting to spend the whole weekend together. But yeah, I, I think Dylan may have referred to him as Steve somewhere in there. Yeah, but it's it it's have. sort of hard. It's sort of hard to think back because, you know, we've seen it so many times now. Uh, we <laughs> knew that they were unmarried, but on right. first viewing, you know, it really is ambiguous up until the whole wedding His ring thing with Harry Connick Jr. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a great scene, too. As, yeah. That's got to be <laughs> one of the best scenes where he's talking about, you know, kissing butt. I'll say that the <laughs> nicer way. And so he's like down on his knees and and, you know looking at that portion of of Steve's body and and then he finds the the ring and when Steve's turns around he's on his knees holding this open box of the ring and, and another guy it on <laughs> and it was and Don't ask then, don't tell man this was actually shortly after Don't ask don't tell hit the military so that might even have been a commentary a kind of, on it yeah a, a, I'm sure a, a it was wink wink nudge nudge kind <laughs> yeah, yeah. But th- there was some serious things that went on in that conversation because they had uh, – he-, he made the comment that, you know, the whole letter from NASA turning him down to, to the- for the astronaut program and then his friend telling him, you know, you're never going to get into space if you marry a-, a stripper. And then the next scene is Jasmine stripping and mm-hmm. doing her dance. I mean, she wasn't actually stripping, but she was very right, scantily right. clad. So it-, it was a commentary on – some of the choices that people make and how they affect what what you can do with your life. And yeah. so I thought that was interesting that they put that in there because a lot of people would think that because I don't know that those kind of choices shouldn't necessarily have an impact on on your career, but they do and they should because they have a lot to do with your character and Well yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't know what point they were trying to make there, but I thought it was an interesting thing that they brought it up that, yeah. you know, that, that Steve's career nowadays, and, and I hate to bring this up, but this is in the news right now. Nowadays, they would just assume the reason he didn't get the position was because he was black. Mm-hmm. And but in this movie, they were assuming that that it was other things. They didn't bring up the racial thing at all. It was. 
Yeah, and you know, Hiller was he appeared to be in in charge at least a, he probably was a flight leader or something like that. Yeah. Um because it, our first introduction to him as a military officer is when he's walking into the ready room and he says to all the other pilots gathered around don't you gentlemen have something better you should be doing with your time or something like that? And he says it in yeah. such an authoritative way. And really, yeah. that's one of the reasons that Will Smith is is a good actor, because this is still pretty early in his acting career. Yeah. I want to say, by this point, he had done Men in Black, and that's about it, right? Well, and his what made him famous? Well, was yeah, I mean, I mean, major movies, um, major movies, yeah. Because before this, he was just essentially playing himself <laughs> in Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah, but uh, anyway, um, we think about the impact of his marrying a stripper, and how the movie makes it a point to say that it would have negatively impacted his military career, career and mm-hmm. and his his wingman comments that uh, it would sh- just completely trash his, his possibility of getting accepted to NASA. But let's take a step back to the 2016 elections and the the level of conversation there was about the character of the president then presidential candidate Donald Trump. And uh, all the instances in in his past that were that were contrary to what in 1996 would have been much more, you know, convicting yeah. of character. It was insufficient to stop him from getting elected for good or for bad, but all within God's will. Yeah. And I think that you kind of have to go back. I've heard a lot of people talk about that election as being not necessarily an election for Donald Trump, but an election against Hillary Clinton. So mm. I think yeah. that the fact that we had two candidates against each other who both had definite visible moral failings, it, mm. it you know, you had to choose between two serious evils. So, yeah, I think it, it is something that has definitely fallen out of censure in our current decade yeah bill clinton it even when bill clinton was being elected there were accusations uh yeah that was uh 92 right when he was elected yeah but but the accusations very near very nearly cost him the nomination and that was mm-hmm. on the, that was on the progressive party <laughs> yeah it but you know it just shows how much how, how much things have changed again yeah, our culture has definitely uh, slipped out of its moral underpinnings. We've yeah. lost a foundation that we had for a good long time in our nation, and and it's completely gone now. It's, that foundation is shattered, and it's sad because uh, it, it that shattering of that foundation is only you know the first block in many that are seriously crumbling. So we're I do appreciate that the uh, and. Again, if if Independence Day had been done today, it mm-hmm. would not have happened this way. But I appreciate that they actually have a scene later on in the movie where Steve marries Jasmine. Right. And make, makes an honest man out of him, so to speak. Yeah, and an honest woman out of her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I think that they were heading towards that all the, all along because right. even in that con- that conversation with his wingman that, they, that he was saying that he had – he, she, he, as wingman, had said, "You know, I thought you were going to break it off," and he was like, "No, obviously not. I got a, you know, this very specially made wedding ring for her." So, Jasmine, in conversation when she was talking to, talking to the, the first, first lady, lady, she said, mm-hmm. "I, I was sort of hoping he wanted the job, though." Yeah. Uh, when talking about the, the being Dylan's yeah. father, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I think that they were heading in that direction. It was just the the. It wasn't so much sleeping around just for the sake of sleeping, you know, having a one night stand or anything. They were in a committed relationship that was heading towards marriage. Not that that makes it right. I'm not justifying it at all. But in the world's eyes, and you realize that we're talking about unsaved individuals. Right. You really can't hold them accountable to the kind of rules that we have as Christians. But But they will be held accountable. They will be held accountable. That, yes, and that, that's something that we always have to remember. And it's, it is the reason 
that we need to hold true and speak the truth in love. It's right. <laughs> especially, especially the week of this recording. We have to remember that God gives us his word for a reason. Yeah. And there is stuff in there that I do not understand, but I trust that God does. I don't know why there is same-sex attraction. I do not understand how harmful it can be to society to allow it, but God does. And he clearly calls it out in scripture. But that doesn't mean we go around screaming Jezebel at people at LGBT rallies or anything like that. We need to we need to stick to the truth and speak it in love because everybody is going to be judged for their actions. And the yeah. only way you're going to get out of that is by letting someone else take up responsibility for your sins. And there's only one guy who can do it. Yeah. I, I feel like we can't talk about Stephen Jasmine's relationship without quoting Hebrews 13, four uh, marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. Yeah. And there's, that's only one of many verses. So, <laughs> so many about that. Yeah. Uh, but, the, but that's, that's the amazing thing is you could live the life of a willing prostitute who is just in it for the money and be on your deathbed and accept salvation. And, and all, all of those away. sins are atoned. Yes. Because they are, they are transferred in space and time to 2000 years ago and put on the shoulders of a man on the cross. Yep. And that's the miracle. That's the gospel. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to get off. I'll step down from my soapbox now. No, it's a terrific way to present the gospel because that this is a representative of all of our culture, that we're all living in some type of sin. Even those of us who are saved, the only thing that is different between us and the unsaved is that we're redeemed through the blood of Christ. We're just mm. as dirty, rotten sinners as everybody else. And yeah, sometimes worse. We can't sit here in judgment and point fingers at somebody who's living in an extramarital affair when we have sin in our own lives as well. And the only the only thing that we can do is present the gospel because that is what saves us. It's nothing that we've done. And we can't be self-righteous about our clean living because our own mm -hmm. clean living only comes through the spirit, <laughs> through the work of the spirit in our lives, because without the spirit, we couldn't do it. Even as Christians, we couldn't do it without the work of the spirit. So that is a, a wonderful thing to bring up. But I do want to get to the other relationships. Yes, so, absolutely. Yes. The the next one is one of, I, I absolutely love uh, David. Uh, he His character is, I think, the driving force of the whole movie. And my favorite scene in the whole movie is when he and his ex-wife have this all out. It's not a fight. It's It's a discussion about why they are no longer married. One they should have had years ago. Yeah. Well, I suspect that it's a continuation of a discussion that's been going on since she left him, because you really get the yeah. feeling from the beginning of the movie that it was never his choice to end that marriage. He's still wearing his wedding ring. He's still faithful to her. He's he's uh, unwilling to even look at other women or date, His even though his father's pushing him into it. You know, it's like, it's been, what, four years? Three? Yeah. Four? Doesn't matter. Why aren't you moving on? It's not healthy. <laughs> in the classic Jewish father way. In, it's yes, nice that you see me so, not, so much now, but I'm only saying it's been, what, four years? Yeah. <laughs> so he is still in love with his wife, and his wife, you find out, has left him for because she's ambitious and she had the chance of a lifetime to work on a campaign with her best friend who becomes president of the United States. And David had the horrible uh, reaction to think that they were having an affair and, and hit the man who was eventually to become president, which we've already talked about the fact that president Whitmore is a, as a loving husband and, upstanding and definitely man. Yeah. Upstanding man who is committed to his wife. So there was not a chance that there was a, bad relationship there but uh she did 
leave David for the president. It was just for career reasons. And she didn't think David was ambitious enough. And so there's this whole, you know, water under the bridge that has gone on with their marriage. And the best line in the whole movie is she's expressing to him how, you know, that this was the chance to be with the president was just this greatest opportunity that she couldn't pass it up. And, and that he wasn't, ambitious enough that he hadn't, you know, done anything special with his life, even though he was really smart and he'd gotten out of MIT and he just wasn't ambitious. And she says, haven't you ever wanted to be part of something special? And he looks right at her and he says, I was part of something special. (laughs) And yeah, it was like mic drop, you know, (laughs) and I think that that was one of the most important images in this movie is that if while you've got all these other things going on, you know, you've got arm, you've got these aliens that are destroying whole cities and wiping out millions of people across the whole country. And they're having this very character driven discussion about their marriage in the middle of all of this that's going going <laughs> on. I thought it was a beautiful picture of another instance of the way families were working back in the 90s, that divorce had become such a a big thing, you know, yeah. no fault divorce and, you know, women leaving their husbands right and left. It's still happening all the time. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, that it's such a rip. I mean, you, you, you discussed earlier when we were talking about the president, you know, the, the fact that God created man and woman to form one body. And so when one leaves a marriage, it's like this devastating... It's an amputation. It's like an amputation. You know, you're cutting a one person in half. Yep. So David and Constance had had lost that connectedness, but it was all her fault. And I'm not saying that David well, wasn't at fault. Yeah, um, yeah, there in we some go. Way, <laughs> It 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 what that he was at there. It takes two for a divorce, but it was quite obvious that he was still in the marriage mentally while she had left it, and I think it was beautiful to see them reunited because that's what yes. happens is it, it under the stress of everything going on, they become the witnesses in Stephen Jasmine's wedding, and she sees the wedding ring still on his finger, and you almost feel like I mean it's not really said, but it's more shown that as they reach out and take each other's hands that they're they're finding each other again yeah they're they're re- almost renewing their vows Re- it's a, that yeah night. it's like yeah they're doing the ceremony in spirit yeah but uh you know you, you mentioned that david is sort of the linchpin to the uh that holds all the character arcs together and uh another way that he is is not only does he provide the the impetus for the the moral lesson and the character arc between him and Constance Connie the relationship between him and his father uh is such that i want to say it's a healthy relationship between him and his father even though david is sort of a little bit of a wayward mm-hmm. and the way that david's dad is providing not only sage advice and acts as David's sounding board for some of the more critical elements of the movie. Uh, but he also is a anchor uh, of faith. Mm-hmm. They, they come from a, a Jewish background. Julius says in the movie that he, he hasn't prayed since his wife died. Uh, they don't say how long that's been, but uh, it shows how, it used that his faith used to be important to him, and he has his struggles, and he shares those struggles with David, and and that's important. Yeah, we need to share with our children not only our strengths, not only our our strong opinions, but our weaknesses and and our struggles too, because they have to know that we depend on someone and something greater than us. Yeah, and you know the. The way that David and his relationship with his dad is framed in here also provides the lens to view the last family in yeah. the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the last family, and, and I think this is probably more impactful for my generation than it is for the generations of today, because mm. my dad is a Vietnam vet. So this speaks very closely to... Not necessarily the way I was raised, because my dad wasn't 
nearly as crazy as Russell is, but <laughs> um, now but wait a is- minute, we don't know <laughs> that he's crazy. <laughs> as a matter of fact, evidence suggests he may not be. Well, he is a little uh, not all there because he, well, uh, he's yeah. drunk. He's a drunk, and he's the first time you see him, he's dusting the wrong field on the entire yeah. wrong side of town. So <laughs> he doesn't have his life together. Let's put it that way. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah, and he's got he's in taking care of three children. We don't necessarily understand the relationship he has with the three kids. We mm-hmm. I think the 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 lo- younger two are probably his. Not sure about the oldest one, Miguel. Yeah. Um, Miguel calls him by his name, so typically that's what happens when you have a, a mixed marriage where Miguel has another father and his mother marries as a different guy, and so he's a stepdad kind of thing. Yeah, so, Mi- the the care the the actor who plays Miguel definitely looks like he has stronger Hispanic heritage in his uh, you know makeup than mm-hmm. the other two. So I I think you're probably right. I think. Russ married uh, a divorcee Miguel's, or, or yeah, yeah. a widow or something. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, you, you don't really know that much about the family structure other than the fact that Russell is not well and he's attempting to provide for the family, but he's not doing a very good job. And he seems to be drinking most of whatever profit he makes off of his <laughs> flying. And uh, Miguel is kind of, the de facto dad because he has to take care of his younger siblings in the absence of a, a strong uh, parental figure in Russell. Hmm. Where where have we seen that before? <laughs> and so Russell is an embarrassment and and um and you can kind of see how that's affecting the kids. You have the 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 youngest, the boy is ill a lot, he seems to have. And if you've watched the special edition, the the, the I guess what you would call the director's cut of the movie uh, there's a lot about the younger boy that's completely cut out of the feature that he's got oh. a a medical condition that needs medication and he because he doesn't have a steady income he's not getting the medication they're having they have a hard time buying it and mm. uh and so his getting sick was because of his medical problem and so there's a lot of things carried out about the younger boy that is left out of the feature that's in the director's cut and there's a lot about the girl as well in the in the director's cut that is left out of the theatrical version for good reason, um, mm-hmm. because the the first time you see the daughter and is she's trying to lose her virginity, and uh, thankfully every time she tries it doesn't work out, so she keeps it. You can see how not having a good stable father, even you don't know where where the mother is, whether she died or left them or what, right. but they're. There, Russell's a single parent. He's not doing a very good job of it. And these children are suffering because of it. And so you definitely see that contrast. Like you said, you know, David it has a good relationship with his, you know, they're adult, obviously. He has a good relationship with his father. And then you have Russell who is dragging these three kids along with him everywhere he goes. And he's not stable. And so they're not stable either. It's like you have to have a stable parent in order to be raised in a good home. Not saying that you can't as an adult get over a bad upbringing, but it does definitely affect, affect you. Yeah. You know, it's one of the things I appreciate is that Miguel very clearly puts up with Russell's inadequacies. Yeah. He, he doesn't rebel against it. He, he, is the responsible son. Though he was trying to leave him behind. <laughs> well, yeah. But it, because he was in prison. Yeah. <laughs> he is playing the responsible oldest child well, I think. And and I like how they presented him. And there's a scene near the end where, you know, they've gone out and, and they've gotten all the the people with flying experience and Miguel brings a cup of coffee to Russell as they're sitting He's trying there to getting sober a briefing. Up. Yeah. yeah. And Russell says, keep him coming, keep him coming. And there's just a huge grin breaks out on Miguel's uh, face. Yeah. So it, you get just from that one instance, you, you start to understand how invested Miguel is and how much he actually loves Russell. Yeah. But, you know, when you love somebody who is self-destructive, 
<laughs> there's a point where you just have to step away. Yeah. And, you know, you start to see this redemption arc for Russell through Miguel's eyes. And it's completed later on when uh, Russell has sacrificed himself for everybody in Area 51. And Baldwin's character turns to to Miguel and says, you should be proud of him. And Miguel says, I am. I am I proud am. of him. Yeah. When he realizes that Russell, what Russell's doing, he actually has to be stopped. He's like wanting to run forward and and yeah. get involved. And so he's he's lingering in the background watching all of this happen in the control center. And and uh, he can't believe what Russell has done. And, and he's very proud of him. And that was the, be- the best redemption in the movie really is Russell because he, he mm-hmm. from what he goes goes to. Of course, another I- inconsistency is how he went from crop dusting to flying an F-18. But <laughs> yeah, um, we, we won't get too picky about that. We won't that. get to that. Yeah. <laughs> Completely yeah, because, different aircraft. You know, a, a Fulker <laughs> biplane is so similar in operation. Uh <laughs> Uh, although, I mean, he does say he flew in Vietnam and, and jets were much more common in Nam. So, well, helicopters um, were much more common than jets, to be honest. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and uh, good point. The, the Vietnam was the helicopter war because they couldn't get the planes down into the areas that they needed to, mm-hmm. to be. And my, my dad's a helicopter pilot. That's how I know. The other thing I know from the fact that my dad is a helicopter pilot in Vietnam was that you can't go from flying a jet to flying a helicopter, which Steve Heller which does. Which Heller so, does, yeah. Yes. <laughs> that is, they're completely different flight methods. And so... Yeah. One of the elders in our church is a, is a Navy helicopter pilot, and, and he's commented that, that he, could, he couldn't even look at one of the F-18 Hornets. <laughs> yeah. My dad was a fixed-wing pilot before he joined, joined the Army for Vietnam. Before he enlisted, before he could get uh, drafted, and mm-hmm. he he chose his service, and they told him that they didn't need any fixed wing pilots. And so my dad said, "Well, I'll I'll fly helicopters." And they says, "Well, you're going to have a hard time because you know switching over, you're going to have a really hard time switching over." So he's one of the few that actually could fly a plane and a helicopter. But he said it took him a. L- I mean, he was like behind everybody else. Uh, trying to learn how to fly the helicopter because it's a completely different way of flying. And once he learned, he could go back and forth, but it was not something that was easy to do. So, yeah, that was one of the inconsistencies in the movie. You know, it's Independence Day is it really is a very character driven movie. It's and uh, but the story of the, the families really just provides a great foundation for so much of the rest of the movie. Yeah, and the rest of the themes that uh, yeah. that there are, and and it, there really is a lot more to discuss. Because frankly, we both like like we said, we've both seen this movie quite a few times, and, yeah. and watching it watching it through this critical lens now has really brought a number of things out. Yeah, and you know, just to kind of cap this discussion off, you know, with with Russell sacrificing himself for the good of everybody. That is, you know, once again, you know, reminder as Christians, you know, that greater love has no man than this, than he give us mm-hmm. life for his brother. And that is the redemptive arc of of all humanity that Christ gave his life for all of us. And it it's interesting how at least two of these stories allows us to talk about the gospel, because yeah. it's so obvious that just the relational stories not the the bigger picture of this movie, just the character development is so good that we can talk about the gospel just talking about the characters in this movie. And there's so much more to talk about. We're going to we're <laughs> going to have to close this episode into a second one cuz we have at least three more themes we want to talk about. So Yeah. So, I guess this completes our June episode and we'll have to do a July episode which this is, you know, July 4th is the you know, kind of the whole idea <laughs> of Independence Day. Yeah, so, you know, go from June to July. Maybe, and, maybe uh, we could release our July 4th episode on Saturday, <laughs> July 4th. <laughs> yeah, well, we got to get this one out first. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if you'd like to join in on, the, in, on future discussions, you're not going to be able to, to join in on this discussion because we are going to turn around and record the next episode as soon as we finish this one. So even though 
you probably won't get the second episode right after this this one they'll they'll be released at separate times there will be no space in between them for us so uh, we'd love to hear your comments uh, though and these will be posted on our Facebook page as well as on our website and so you can uh, get the show notes at are you just watching.com slash 105 you can find our community at are you just watching.com slash community and that'll take you to our Facebook group which you will have to ask to join but we do want you to join and you can uh, come right in there and discuss right on our posts about other things that you've seen in Independence Day you can also call us at 513 818 2959, or you can email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And we want you to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get podcasts. Make sure that you subscribe so you get our monthly episodes and review. We could really use some reviews. I don't think we've had a review in mm. probably a couple of years now. So we'd love to have uh, some fresh reviews out there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Eve Franklin. And you can follow me on Twitter at Renchepple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And we would like to thank our faithful supporters, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman for their monthly support. Thank you. If you'd like to support Are You Just Watching, we, we'd love for you to go to patreon.com slash watching and consider giving us a monthly gift. If there's other ways that you would like to give money to us, please contact us uh, through one of the methods we just said and let us know which way you would like to give us money and we will not turn it down. We'll find a way to make it happen. So <laughs> We're not in this Eventually, to make money. Eventually the theaters will open back up. Yes, yes. We, we do incur some expenses to this podcast so we would, we would appreciate the support. So I believe that wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a member of the Christian Podcast Community. Find more interesting podcasts on theology and Christian living at podcast.strivingforeternity.org.